Come on in if you're frustrated, if you're irritated, if you're any type of aided. We'll get you through the next hour of everything that's happening in the National Football League. Shereen Williams back on the program. Shereen, nice to see you this afternoon. Thank you. I'm doing better than Doug Peterson is, I think. I hope. Yeah, that's a low bar. That's a low bar for all of us. And uh, we look, hey, Doug's got a Super Bowl ring. Doug has a Super Bowl trophy that was minted fewer than three years ago. I think everybody in Philly should go easy on Doug. He's made the playoffs three straight years. Let it Chill. work its way out and let's see what happens. But they got a lot to be happy about. There are plenty of other teams out there that would love to have won a Super Bowl within the last three years. I'm Mike Florio, by the way. We're here for the next hour on this Tuesday edition of PFTPM. Plenty of things happening in the NFL, as always. And let's get right into it. The guy who was the MVP of the Super Bowl that the Eagles won fewer than three years ago, now the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. It was a rough night last night for the Bears, for the offense, which was dreadful. They had a chance to win the game, theoretically. They had the ball. They had about a minute and on first and down, uh, first and ten, excuse me, the defense engulfed Nick Foles. He got rid of the ball as he was falling to the ground. He hit the ground hard. He was laying there motionless. It looked serious. He was carted off. It turns out, Shireen, he is day to day with a hip slash gluteus injury, which, in layman's terms, he broke his ass potentially. Although. It may not be broken. It's day to day. Now, I fell down the steps last Christmas day. What a present that was and broke my ass. So (laughs) I know how it feels to be day to day walking around with a broken butt. But uh, Foles, it could have been worse. It looked like his back. It looked like his shoulder. Day to day and they have a bye week. There's optimism, Shireen. He'll be good to go when they come out of the bye. And basically the season's on the line when they go to Green Bay next Sunday night, Thanksgiving weekend to take on the Packers. Yeah, when I saw that, Mike, I thought it was serious or more serious than what it has turned out to be. I mean, I thought this might be a season-ending thing, and they are very fortunate. Nick Foles is very fortunate that that that's all it is. And when I say that's all it is, football players, and I tweeted this the other day, football players by definition are tough, and don't ever question the toughness of a football player. They play through a lot of stuff, and when you hear turf toe, when you hear hip flexor, when you hear any of those things, they hurt, and those guys play through those injuries, and it is amazing when they get back on the field, and he's going to be in a lot of pain. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They'll shoot him up the best they can. Uh, when he does get back out there. But these guys are tough, and he's tough, and, and this isn't the last, fortunately, that we've seen of Nick Foles this year. I remember the first time I ever heard the turf toe diagnosis. It was Franco Harris in the 70s, and I remember thinking, that really doesn't sound bad, turf toe. Like, okay, like, uh, walk it off and you'll be fine. Like, I, uh, but But, yeah, extremely painful because it's your big toe it's your toe on which you push off and it gets all the force of your body as you run away and Foles is completely fearless when it comes to standing in the pocket and taking whatever comes his way and he's kind of lanky and it looks like he's going to get injured every time he gets hit so of all quarterbacks I think he's got even more courage than most you don't see him collapse like the proverbial house of cards and avoid contact he stands in there takes the big throw his first touchdown last year with the Jaguars in his debut. He got hit hard as he let go of the ball and had a broken collarbone and missed several weeks. So he's fearless to a fault. And, uh, yeah, we're not doubting 
that at all. Now, the question becomes, given how bad this team suddenly is, they were 5-1 and one before hitting their current four-game losing streak, culminating in last night's loss to the Vikings, where the offense really was abysmal. They got to a point where they are just giving it to Cordell Patterson on every play because he seemed to be the only one who was trying hard late in the game. Should they stick with Foles? Or, if Mitchell Trubisky's shoulder is healed in 12 days, go back to him, Shereen. Well, you know, I've said a lot, Mike. You and I kind of sort of disagree on Nick Foles, that he is one of the best backups, in my mind, with the Earl Morrill in NFL history. But he's not a starting quarterback, and he's never started more than 11 games in a season. And I think he's a really good backup. And, and the stats bear it. I mean, he's got an 81 passer rating, which is ahead of only the likes of Cam Newton, Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz, you get the idea. It's not very good. He's 27th in the NFL. He has not played very well. The team is 2-5 and with him as a quarterback. Now, having said all that, I don't know that they're any better off with Mitchell Trubisky. They were 3-0 with him, but eh, eh. I think they've got a quarterback problem, frankly, in Chicago. I don't know that it matters uh, who they play. I don't know that it makes a difference, but they've got to address the quarterback position at the end of the year. Yeah, and... uh... It's silly for me to think that this would be a perfect opportunity to bring in Colin Kaepernick and give him a shot when Week 12 rolls around. I remember vividly the way that Colin Kaepernick bedeviled the San Fr- or the Green Bay Packers when he was with the San Francisco 49ers way back when. A game in Lambeau Field in the postseason where he beat them, and then there was a game in San Francisco where he set the postseason record for quarterback rushing in a single game, but that that's it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Even though it should, even though he'd be a better option right now than Foles or Trubisky, it's not going to happen. And I'm starting to come around on Foles. I, I, I hate to say it because I love a great story, and nothing would be better than Foles playing on a regular basis like he did that year that, that it all fell together. But I think for him... It's kind of a Tebow mania, kind of a slumdog millionaire where the planets line up just right and it all falls together just perfectly once in a hundred years and it does it for him in the playoffs. Like there's something that comes over him. And one of the reasons why I'm starting to agree with you, last night they get the turnover on the first drive. Kyle Rudolph fumbles, loses a fumble for the first time in his career. And what does Nick Foles do? He's got a wide open guy with the proverbial Red Sea parted in front of him. Nothing to get in his way. And he's got Anthony Miller wide open and he misses him. And the ball pops up in the air and Harrison Smith intercepts it. So, you know, you can't just turn that on when the season's on the line, when you're in single elimination, you got to be that way all the time. And I, I, I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm starting to agree that maybe just maybe Nick Foles caught lightning in a bottle and almost caught it again in 2018 when he nearly upset the Saints as quarterback for the Eagles when Carson Wentz was injured. But I, I don't know. I, I, that's my convoluted way of saying you may be right and I may be wrong. Hey, I won that one. Maybe. Yeah. But I would maybe, love to see. Maybe. I'm like you. I would. Foles is a great story. I would love to see him do well. I just haven't seen him from him as a full time starter, and that's all I'm saying. And there's a reason he's been with as many teams as he's been with. But do I want him on my team as a backup? Absolutely, I want him on my team. I just don't want him starting every week. That playoff run 2018, the Saints avoided being upset at home by the Philadelphia Eagles only the next week to have one of the worst calls of all time go against them and lose to the Rams. Drew Brees has been chipping away, chipping away, trying to get back to a Super Bowl 
He's now reportedly going to get a second opinion to determine whether he should go on injured reserve. This comes down to how much time is he going to miss? Because if they put him on injured reserve, he misses a minimum of three weeks. That's the 2020 COVID glitch in the IR rules that allows anyone for any reason to be put on injured reserve for three weeks. So either hold him on the roster or you put him on IR. And anytime, Shireen, an NFL player gets a second opinion, that means they didn't like the first opinion that they got. And it tells me that the first opinion coming from the team doctor is you're out for at least three weeks. We're putting you on injured reserve. And Drew Brees seems to be sufficiently stubborn as I would be to say, screw that. I'm coming back within three weeks. Yeah, I I think, you know, what's been said within the organization is the best case scenario has him out two to three weeks. That's best case. But, Mike, this is a serious injury. And when you have a collapsed lung, I mean, you have to be careful about that. You don't want to go out there and and risk your long-term health uh, for football. And, and frankly, they need him for the postseason, and they need him to be healthy for the postseason. So they need to get this thing helped. Uh, healed up before he gets back out there and that's going to be three weeks or longer I mean let's face it so I'm going to be really surprised if he comes back before three weeks if they let him come back before three weeks he will push it I know to come back but you know the Saints always have a plan trust in Sean Payton they were five and oh without Drew Brees last year they'll be fine without him this year I don't know if they'll go five and oh or however long that Drew Brees is out but I think they'll be okay Drew Brees is an ultra-competitive individual, as most great, great quarterbacks are. It's, it's part of your makeup, or you won't become a great quarterback. You're competitive about everything. You don't want to not play, especially when you're in this back-and-forth with Tom Brady for the all-time passing touchdown record, and you want to be on the field. You want to be in that fight. You want to be leading your team. You think you're the best option. And I think back to last year when he had the thumb injury, every time they – Cut to him on the sideline of the game. He's doing the he's doing the you know rehab thumb, rehab thumb. Get back sooner, get back sooner. Now there's not much he can do to get back sooner when he's got a rib injury and a collapsed lung, but he wants to get back on the field. And I don't fault him for it. But I think this is part of the push and pull. It's part of the five stages of grief, and you're trying to get him to the point of acceptance. And we've seen a little bit of that in the news over the past couple of weeks. Sometimes it takes a while to get out of the anger <laughs> phase. I don't know which phase Drew Brees is currently in, but hopefully he'll get to acceptance. And yeah, Shereen, here's my prediction. At some point tomorrow, maybe by the time we're on the air, there will be a report as to who got the bulk of the first team quarterback reps for the Saints on Wednesday, the major practice installation day, when even though Sean Payton surely will say to everyone in the building, keep your damn mouths shut. Somebody will say, will say something to someone who'll say something to someone who will eventually say something to someone who covers the game for a living. And we'll know whether it's Jameis Winston, whether it's Taysom Hill, or whether it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I'm going to be surprised, Mike, if it's not James Jameis Winston, simply because he's the guy who came in when Drew Brees got hurt on Sunday. And secondly, Teddy Bridgewater played last year over Taysom Hill 
And third, they really have to change up their offense so much with Taysom Hill at quarterback. And maybe that's something they do a couple games down the road. I don't know, depending on how Jameis Winston plays. I do know that Taysom Hill is going to be a big part of their offense. No matter if he starts or doesn't start, I expect him to, to be out of the bubble wrap and a huge part of this offense moving forward. But I'm not sure he's going to be the starting quarterback, and that's completely and totally just a guess. But I expect Jameis Winston to take the first snap. My only hesitation continues to come from the officially unofficial depth chart that every team has on its website. They say it doesn't mean anything, but last year it was Breeze, Bridgewater, Hill in that order. Bridgewater was the next man up. This year it's Breeze, Hill, Winston in that order. And I can understand why Winston would have come in during the game because he's the backup quarterback for the game. Hill is the jack of all trades who's been doing different things at practice, not practicing to be the backup to Drew Brees, and there's your depth chart. Unofficially official, Taysom Hill is number two behind Drew Brees. But the question becomes, do you entrust the full offense to Taysom Hill? And I'm just fascinated by this from a palace intrigue standpoint because they gave Taysom Hill the contract that has $16 million guaranteed. You're really not using him to that extent. You're not getting your money's worth dollar for dollar. And if he's ever going to be the quarterback of this team, Shireen, why not? See what he can do now. And if you're not ready to let him see what he can do now and let you find out what he can do now over the guy who threw 30 interceptions last year, maybe there's a problem we don't know about. Yeah, absolutely. They paid him the money for a reason, Mike. They have said consistently, Sean Payton has said consistently, he is our quarterback of the future. We believe in him. We think he's a quarterback. So if you do, you let him play, you change your offense, you do what you have to do to let him play. And maybe it's a thing where they play both quarterbacks. Maybe Jameis Winston gets some snaps, too, and, and Taysom Hill has a, has a package for him. But whatever they do, I do think Taysom Hill needs to take a lot of snaps at quarterback. I think they need to find out about him. Drew Brees is not going to play very much longer, and I, I think all the signs are there. We saw it last year with the five games he missed. He's going to miss time this year. He is on his last legs. We all know that. He's played much better than I expected him to play this season. I'll say it. But he is on his last legs. He is nearing the end. You have to know if Taysom Hill is your future, Jameis Winston's your future, or if you need to go to find a quarterback after this season. By the way, Broncos quarterback Drew Locke, according to NFL media, has bad muscle strains and bruising and is considered week to week. And I'm a Drew Locke fan. I thought he would become that quarterback that makes people finally say, hey, John Elway can draft and develop someone to play the position that he excelled at. But if you can't be available to your team on a regular basis, you can't be a franchise quarterback. And, Shereen, I get asked all the time now, what about Vic Fangio? What about Drew Locke? Are they in danger? At some point, that spotlight needs to go one level higher to the person who's making these decisions on coaches and quarterbacks. And John Elway has one of the greatest gigs in football right now because he has no owner who can fire him. And it won't be even relevant until the trustees who continue to operate the team wait until they appoint one of the Pat Boland children to take over. But at some point, you've got to have real scrutiny and accountability if you're John Elway. And I think any other owner, any other team, any other circumstance by now, I think John Elway would have been in serious trouble, if not at a minimum, on the hot seat. All right, let's move on to Tack McKinley. Failed his physical with the Cincinnati Bengals today, back on waivers. Remember, he talked his way out of Atlanta. He was waived last week, went through the COVID-19 waiting period, failed the physical, 
it was the 49ers, Browns, and Raiders who are also putting claims from McKinley last week. So maybe they'll be interested again. You never know why a guy fails a physical. It seems like different doctors find different things or don't find different things. So it could be there's still interest in bringing McKinley in. He exited Atlanta passing his physical. You can't waive the guy if he's injured, right? So who knows what the doctor in Cincinnati saw that the doctor in Atlanta didn't see. And it may be a doctor with another team says, this guy's good to go, bring him on the team. Yeah, he did have the groin injury earlier in the year, Mike, and he did miss some gains for that. But like you said, you've got to pass a physical to get out of there, which he obviously did. So yeah, another team may may well pass him. It depends on on what their doctors find and what they see. And there are a lot there were a lot of teams interested in him, and there still will be a lot of teams interested in him. I mean, he was a first round draft pick in 2017. So uh, there is going to be interest, especially for what he has left on his contract, if he can pass a physical with another team. But I would expect somebody to certainly uh, to pick him up off waivers and take a look at what the injury is. There was a report today from Todd Archer of ESPN.com who covers the Cowboys for them that the, the coaches and staff have been staying in a hotel at the team's new practice facility uh, Jerry Jones was on 105.3 The Fan today. He didn't quite come out and say that, but he did make it clear they have enhanced measures that they're taking. Look, I'm surprised more teams aren't mandating it for their non-union employees because the non-union employees can't say no if that's the assignment. That's part of the benefit of being in a union. You've got a collective negotiating body that can stand up and say you can't make our guys stay in a hotel all season long, but these teams can put the squeeze on coaches and staff members to stay in that hotel. I'd I'd like to think Jerry Jones is staying in the hotel too. Even if it's the presidential suite, I'd like to think that he is right there with them since he's the general manager. But Shereen, I I think more and more teams are going to do this as the numbers keep going up. Even if you can't force the players to stay at a hotel, the more people you keep out of circulation in the communities where the numbers are skyrocketing, the more likely you are to keep the virus out of the locker room. The most interesting thing to me, Mike, was he also said we're increasing the, the capacity uh, at AT&T Stadium. They're going to have more fans. They drew an NFL high. Actually, it's it's a world high, as Jerry Jones likes to say, 31 31- seven for the Pittsburgh game and they're going to go even higher than that so while he's saying that he's talking about taking all these precautions as Texas goes over a million cases became the first state over a million cases and now is well over a million cases and I went by the hospital today which is in the shadow of AT&T Stadium and cars are wrapped around uh, the parking lot waiting to go in to be COVID tested so Yes, they need to be staying at hotels, doing everything they possibly can to stay safe because this thing is just out of control in the communities. And uh, they're trying to prevent community spread because that's what they found has spread more often than than players giving it to each other. They're bringing it back into the facility, having gotten it out in the community from from wherever. Who knows? So this thing is spreading and whatever they can do to stay safe, they certainly need to. But I don't think increasing the capacity the crowd size at games is a good way to go at this point, Mike. But but not a single case can be traced back, Shireen, yeah. to attending oh, games yeah, at AT&T Stadium. That's what Jerry said. Like you can ever, with a microscopic organism that is completely invisible to the eye and needs to be examined in an electron microscope, 
like you can ever prove where someone got it. Oh, we have no complaints. It's not like food poisoning and someone got a bad hot dog, right? You can get it anywhere. And if you're doing anything that falls into the potential risk behaviors, whether you're not wearing a mask within six feet of other people in a setting like that, of course, you can potentially get it and it will be impossible to pr- prove where you got it. So that's now look, it's not like it's the full blown people crammed on top of each other with no masks, super spreader events we were seeing up until Tuesday of two weeks ago in certain locations, but it's still riskier than staying home and watching the game on TV. And the two things don't mesh. If you're making your staff and your coaches stay in a hotel when they're not working they would be the very people who would be prohibited from going to attend a football game at AT AT&T Stadium. They're required to stay at the hotel and watch it because you don't want them to get sick. All right, real quickly, the NFL yesterday said they were aware of the October 15 incident involving Buccaneers receiver Antonio Brown, previously unreported, allegedly broke a camera at his gated community in Hollywood, Florida, allegedly threw a bicycle at a security guard shack. Police had probable cause to charge him with misdemeanor criminal mischief. They chose not to do it at the behest of the Homeowners Association president who feared retaliation by Brown against the group's employees. The NFL said they're aware, but no comment. Now they're reviewing. Of course they're reviewing it. They say they're reviewing it. Of course they're reviewing it. They have to review it. Even if he's not charged, he's a repeat offender under the personal conduct policy. He was suspended eight games, and apparently the NFL was not aware of the October 15 incident before he was reinstated. And that becomes a problem because, and I'm going to have to pull up the personal conduct policy and look at it. There's language in there that creates an imperative obligation on the player to report any incident. And you don't have to be arrested to have an incident that needs to be reported under the personal conduct policy. So he could get in trouble for the incident. He could get in trouble for not reporting it to the league immediately and even though the Bucks, Shireen, seem to be completely on board with moving forward with Antonio Brown, despite this incident, the NFL could intervene and they could dispense swift justice and significant justice on Antonio Brown at any time, really. They can move as quickly or as slowly as they want to. And Mike, I don't think we're surprised, right? I thought Tony Robbins had solved all of this for AB. I mean, this was a recent incident, so... I hope he's getting himself right and doing the right things, and we'll see. But at some point, you wear out your welcome, and it becomes too much. I mean, this guy who has 10 catches for 100 yards and no touchdowns in two games, we know what he's capable of. We've seen it. But at some point, is he worth all of this, all of these headaches? And that's what the Bucs are going to have to ask themselves if these things keep popping up if the NFL doesn't intervene. Because it's at some point it's too much, Mike. The, the I continue to be the amazed. Figured that out. Yeah, and the Raiders figured it out, and and the Patriots figured it out even more quickly. And the Patriots figured it out. I know we got to take a break, but they figured it out because they asked the catch-all: "Is there anything else we don't know about?" Question. And Antonio Brown and his agent at the time, Drew Rosenhaus, didn't disclose the pending allegation that had not yet been reduced to a civil lawsuit of sexual assault and rape. They were negotiating a settlement. They didn't own up to that. So there's only three potential explanations for what Brown did or didn't say to the Buccaneers. Number one, they failed to ask him, is there anything else we don't know about, which is a bad look, or they asked him and he didn't tell them, which is a bad look, or 
He, they asked and he told them and they still signed him anyway, which is a bad look. All this across the board is a bad look for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But even if they choose not to do anything, it's the league that ultimately will have final say over this. Also, the authorities, they could find that he's violated the terms of his probation and they could put him in jail. So we'll keep an eye on that one. But uh, this is a guy who has not earned as many chances as he's gotten. And his talent level isn't quite at the point where the NFL has to have him in the league. And the NFL doesn't care. The Buccaneers may say, yeah, let's just keep him around. We'll look the other way. The NFL doesn't care. In the NFL's view, this guy is a repeated problem for them. And you never know what's going to happen. He could be put on the commissioner exempt list and paid by the Buccaneers while they figure out what to do about this. The NFL can do anything they want to do here. And we'll see whether or not they do anything with Antonio Brown before Monday night, the next time Tampa Bay plays at home against the Rams on Monday Night Football. Let's take a break. When we return, rewatch of the game of the week, Bills, Cardinals, breaking that down when PFTM continues right after this. Now the Bills drop two men back 25 yards downfield. Murray back to throw. Flushed out, rolling left in trouble, slips a tackle, got to launch it. He does. Left side, into the end zone, jump ball, and it is. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh, my goodness, it's caught. DeAndre Hopkins caught it. He caught it for a touchdown with one second left. I can't believe it. You've got to be joking me. Hopkins reaches up with three defenders around him and pulls it in, and the Cardinals lead it 32-30 to with a second left. You can't cover Nuke. You're not going to be able to cover him. Throw the ball up. That's what Kyler Murray did. Awesome game. Awesome finish. And a couple of great teams. A couple of great quarterbacks. Somebody had to lose. I feel badly for the Bills. But I was so excited for the Cardinals with the 32-30 victory. Capped by the Hale Murray, Shireen. That's the game that we rewatched this week. And... Let's begin. Some of these are going to be obvious, but still, we have to talk about this game. If we would have picked any other game, it would have been like, what the hell are they thinking? Of course, it's Bills at Cardinals. Best player on the field in your estimation? Well, there are two choices, Mike. And I knew watching the game, of course, I knew on the sheet, but I knew watching the game what your choice would be. But I will ask you this. Would there have been any other receiver on the Cardinals team that could have made that catch? Oh, I don't know. Larry Fitzgerald, maybe five years ago. I don't no. know that he could make it now. But no, five Hopkins is the ago. only one who could yeah. have made the catch. Yeah, no doubt. And so I, I picked DeAndre Hopkins for that reason. It was a great play by Kyler Murray. There's no question about that. But DeAndre Hopkins made that catch. And I'm not sure any other receiver in the NFL could have made that catch, frankly. He's the best receiver in football. He proved that again on Sunday by outdoing Diggs. And He's proving that that was the second worst trade in NFL history, and if not in NFL history, at least in the last 32 years. And sorry to bring it up again, Mike, but you know what the worst trade in NFL history was. Herschel Walker. But this might be the second worst trade in NFL history. A horrible trade. And I know the Texans were probably, Texans fans at least, were sick watching that catch because – It was amazing, and he made it with three guys around him. And, again, I'm not sure anybody else in the NFL makes that catch. He made it. Let me just put my all-pro vote right now, and I'm checking off DeAndre Hopkins as one of my two receivers. Now, 
I'll agree with you that no other receiver on the team could have made the catch if you'll agree with me that no other quarterback on the team could have made the throw because that's the other <laughs> side of this. And 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 here's the key. It's yes. buying time because my player of the game, obviously, Kyler Murray, it's buying time before you make that throw. And what I was reminded of when I watched that play, you see him skirt away from the Bills defender who had a shot at him. And it reminded me of that little mini controversy from week three or four when Jerry Jones was talking about Dak Prescott having the mobility and athleticism to extend a play, but then the great ones can can harness whatever they need to do after that, can get it together again after that. And I remember seeing the words written thinking he didn't throw shade at Dak and then listening to him thinking, damn, he's saying Dak can't do what some of these other guys do. And regardless of what he was saying, Kyler Murray is one of the ones who can get twisted up by a guy who has a shot at him, run away from it, and immediately refocus his attention down the field and not have to have to need that two or three seconds to get reoriented to where he is in relation to where the receivers are. Murray just kept going. He made the throw. He told me after the game he was facing the sideline when he threw the ball. I mean, he cranked that thing up. He knew it had a chance. It helped that it was DeAndre Hopkins. So... And for and for me, look, it was what Kyler Murray did all game long, too. I love watching him run the ball. He's fearless. He's been taking more hits. They've had more design runs. They've got that, that read option look where everything flows to the right and he pulls the ball out and takes off to the left and no one has a chance as everything's moving in that one direction. He's got 11 rushing touchdowns this year. He's three short of the record set by Cam Newton. I think he's going to set it. His odds keep improving to be the MVP. It's now plus 700. He's like fourth on the list behind Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers. He's just fun to watch every week. I wish every one of their games were played in primetime, and I'm happy that Thursday night we get to see him against Russell Wilson again. People act surprised, Mike, that he hadn't thrown a Hail Mary ever in his career. But this is a guy that was 42-0 and in high school. I mean, they didn't play that no need to. games. Let's be, no no you know, need to no throw need a Hail Mary. Throw Hail Mary. And he played one year at Oklahoma. There was no need in most of those games to throw a Hail Mary. And it did remind me, this game did, of, of the Big 12 game and especially the way it finished. And their offense is starting to remind me of a Big 12 offense because it's hurry up. And I think they're even better when they go quick. And they're starting to go quick a little bit more. And they're starting to get it. And Cliff Kingsbury talked a little bit about that. But, Mike, you remember that uh, Sea of Hands game? I think it was the 74 playoffs with the Chargers and the Dolphins. That's what that picture of DeAndre Hopkins reminds Reminds me of that sea of hands. Who was better than you thought after taking a closer look at the game? Well, I'm going to go with Patrick Peterson. And I think we've seen a regression of him over the last couple years. I mean, when we start talking about the best cornerbacks in football, his name's not in, it, it doesn't come up real quick for me thinking of the best cornerbacks. I don't think he's there anymore. I know he was asked a couple days ago about possibly playing safety someday soon, and he kind of him hauled around, and maybe that's a possibility. But in this game, I thought he was really good, and I thought that interception was really key that he made in the third quarter there uh, that set up Kyler Murray's 15-yard touchdown run that put them ahead for the first time. And I thought that was a big play that he made in that game, and I really thought he played pretty well overall in that game. And I know he had the coverage on Stephon Diggs at the end, 
but he actually had pretty good coverage on that play. It was just a great throwing catch by Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. One guy I was really impressed by, and we talked about this some on Football Night in America, but to actually watch the game and see him make the kicks, and, and one hit the goalpost and yeah. went in. He, this is Tyler Bass, the sixth-round rookie draft pick of the Bills, entrusted the kicking job to him, and he made three 50-plus yarders, including a 58-yarder, yard, and each one was longer than the rest, and each one was a career long. And he, he look, yeah, you always want to get touchdowns instead of field goals, but if you're – you know, in the vicinity of the 40-yard line between the 35 and 40 and the drive Peters out, and you can get three points fairly automatically, that's impressive. And to actually see that happen and to see him nail those kicks as you watch that game back, I, I think Tyler Bass is one of those guys, if he can continue, he's going to be a fixture in the NFL to, for years to come. All right, give me someone who had a game they'd like to forget, Shereen. Well, I think the choices are obvious. And I went with Mario Addison, and he had a chance to make the play. When you watch it, DJ Humphreys fell down, and so he had a free release, and Kyler Murray juked him. And, you know, it's not the first time that a defensive lineman hasn't made the tackle on Kyler Murray. There's been a ton of those, but never in a bigger situation than that was that a lineman had the angle, had the chance to tackle and make the play he did. And I know he's had nightmares over that. He ended the game with, with one tackle, and I know he wished he had had one more, which was a sack, which would have ended that game. You know, I, I'm going to go with two guys from the defense on that same play, Tredavious White and Jordan Poyer. And the more I watch that play back, look, White went up, and this was a point Peter King made yesterday. White was trying to catch the ball, not knock it down. And he didn't get a chance to really do either because Jordan Poyer came flying out of nowhere and slammed into his teammate and knocked him down, yep. knocked knocked Tredavious White out of the way. So, look, I I understand that, they called the defense they did, and Kyler Murray suggested that the first read was Andy Isabella doing a crosser, and they were trying to get closer for a shot at the end zone, and maybe the Bills could have had more guys back. They still had three guys around DeAndre Hopkins. But if you're Tredavious White, you don't try to catch the ball. And if you're Jordan Poyer, you don't come in out of nowhere and slam into your own guy and knock him away from having an opportunity to maybe catch the ball or still knock the ball away. So those guys have to be watching that play over and over again. And despite all the praise that we're giving to DeAndre Hopkins, those Bills players that were back there made it easier for him to catch the ball because White could have just tried to knock it down and Poyer should have avoided ramming into Tredavious White, Shereen. Yeah, no question about it, Mike. And they were all there, and it looked like they had good defense, and that's what I thought. He just knocked him right out of the way. Maybe if he wasn't there and it was two-on-one, they would have had a better opportunity, as, as crazy it is as that is to say. Yeah, I mean, as Peter said yesterday, this wasn't Shaquille O'Neal trying to get a ball over Muggsy <laughs> Bogues. I, I think it was Good Morning Football that had they posted on Twitter the tail of the tape, and I expected it to be jarring, and it wasn't. It's like, it's not like there's this tremendous advantage that DeAndre Hopkins had, other than hand size. Uh, he had three guys around him, and a couple of them misplayed the situation, or maybe Hopkins wouldn't have made that catch. Not to take anything away from Hopkins, he made the catch, but it's not like the Bills made it harder on him to do so. All right, let's take a break. When we return, it's time to hand out the Week 10 Awards. We probably should exempt all Cardinals from our awards, yeah. but hey, it would look weird if we didn't. So I have a feeling you'll hear some Cardinals names when MDS joins us next for the Week 10 Awards.
Okay, Week 10 Awards. MDS joins the conversation. Let's do it as we always do, rapid fire, one at a time, through four different awards. Let's begin with the Offensive Player of the Week. MDS, you are up. I've got DeAndre Hopkins with the Hale Murray catch, which was outstanding. But, you know, he was having a good game already. He ended up with seven catches for 127 yards. And when you look at the connection that Hopkins and Kyler Murray have, I really wonder if we're going to look back on this trade as one of the best <laughs> trades in NFL history from the perspective of the Cardinals or as one of the worst trades in NFL history from the perspective of the Texans. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, MDS. I said that earlier. Herschel Walker is the only thing that comes close to that. I'm going to go to the You didn't have to mention it again. You really didn't have to mention <laughs> I, I did it for fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to go with, with Alex Smith, the greatest comeback story maybe in NFL history. It's hard to argue that after 17 surgeries to save his life and save his leg. And he probably would have gotten the award just getting back on the active roster. And he certainly would have gotten it just by showing up and taking a snap in a game. But he has done way more than that. Set career highs in attempts, completions, and yards this week. Uh, first time ever, I was surprised at this, that he had back, he has had back-to-back 300-yard games. He's been really good for Washington. And Ron Rivera said, hey, maybe we have our quarterback of the future we're going to see. I know he's older, but, God, he's playing great. And it's so fun to see Alex Smith doing what he's doing. Yeah, it really is. And, look, I have to go with the guy who quickly is becoming my favorite player in the National Football League, Kyler Murray. Uh, for all the reasons we discussed earlier, Shireen, the, the the throw that won the game, the way he runs the football, the way he does everything, it is just so much fun to watch him. And I feel like I felt a couple of years ago when Patrick Mahomes was first exploding onto the scene where I couldn't get enough. I hope I don't get numb to Kyler Murray the way I've gotten numb to Patrick Mahomes. I have a feeling that we will, but I think here's the difference. We're not being fed a huge dose of Kyler Murray yet this year. There's not a lot of primetime games for the Arizona Cardinals. Maybe we'll see a lot of postseason action for the Cardinals. Maybe next year is the year that we start to get desensitized to what Kyler Murray does. Maybe there'll be somebody else who comes along who does it even better. I don't know. But I'm as excited about Kyler Murray this year as I was about Mahomes. Probably more. He is so much fun to watch. And And there really is this sense of we don't know which way it's ultimately going to go this season for them. Are they going to win the division? Are they going to be a one seed? Are they going to stumble and fall a couple of times and maybe not even make the playoffs? There's a lot of good teams in the NFC, and they've got them chasing at their heels. So uh, whatever happens, it's just fun. Watching Kyler Murray play is fun. And uh, I say there's probably never going to be another one like him, but I said that two years ago about Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I guess one of the reasons I'm so excited about football now, you've got this year after year, there's another guy who enters the league who just wows us, and I hope that continues year in and year out for as long as we're following the game. All right, let's get on to the defensive player of of the week, not the year, but of the week. He could be defensive player of the year as well. MDS, you're up first. Well, I'm going with Jalen Ramsey, and you know, I love trades like the DeAndre Hopkins trade when you can get a great player without giving up much. I'm usually a little more skeptical of these trades where you give up two first-round picks like the Rams did for Jalen Ramsey. And then, of course, you also have to give the guy a big contract that's going to go a long way on your salary cap. But these are the games you trade for a guy like Jalen Ramsey for. 
big divisional game. You put him on the other team's best receiver, and he shut down DK Metcalf. And shutting down DK Metcalf goes a long way towards shutting down the Seahawks offense. The Rams won a big game with big playoff implications. I think Jalen Ramsey was the single biggest reason for that. And and I think we saw exactly what the Rams were envisioning when they make that trade transpire on Sunday. MDS, I'm going to stay on the same team. And because Jalen Ramsey locked down DK Metcalf like he did, Darius Williams saw a lot of action. And he had as many catches from Russell Wilson as DK Metcalf did. He had two interceptions and played just great. And I think they have a great pairing there with those two. And, oh, by the way, he had a pick six that was called back by an offsides. Now, maybe Russell Wilson doesn't take that throw knowing it was offsides. But nonetheless, Darius Williams also played great in that game. That Rams defense was terrific against Russell Wilson and Seahawks. You know, this is like a slot machine. We've got three boxes. Let's pretend we're pulling the arm, right? And so MDS is spinning, and it stops on ugly-ass Rams logo. Shireen stops on ugly-ass Rams logo. And mine stops on ugly-ass Rams logo. I don't know what you'll win, but this is the first time all year that we've got all three from the same team. I'm going to go with Leonard Floyd. He had three sacks. And if you're going to focus on keeping Aaron Donald from sacking your quarterback, hey, there's a chance somebody else on that defensive front is going to do it. Floyd, the guy they brought in to to take advantage of the opportunities that are there when defenses or when offenses, excuse me, try to keep Aaron Donald in check. Floyd, I got to give him credit. He got the three sacks, part of the effort to neutralize the Seahawks offense. And, and, you know, guys, something we talked about earlier today on PFT Live and we were trying to diagnose the problems with the Seahawks, they, they really do have to get more creative about getting the ball in DK Metcalf's hands, especially for games like this. If he's going to be covered down the field, throw the quick screen, put him in motion, do a jet sweep, do something to get the Rams defense off off its axis. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have an outcome like the one that we saw where the Rams defense was just awesome at every level on Sunday against the Seahawks. All right, Rookie of the Week time, MDS, who do you have? I have Justin Jefferson, who had 135 yards on Monday night against the Bears. He's currently leading the NFL with 18.1 yards per catch. Is emerging as, I think, the best receiver in a good rookie class of receivers. And, you know, we've been talking about trades, and I'll, I'll talk about another one. The Vikings took a big gamble when they decided to trade Stephon Diggs to the Bills and then use the first-round pick they got for him on Justin Jefferson. And, and as well as Diggs is playing in Buffalo, I think the Vikings feel like it worked out well for them because they think Jefferson is playing just as well as Diggs. He's younger, he's cheaper, and they they really hit a home run when they drafted Justin Jefferson. Now, if some other team had drafted Jeff- Justin Jefferson ahead of them, we might look back at that trade differently. But it worked out very well for them because – He is, I think, one of the best rookies in the league. Yeah, and Javon Kinley, MDS, kind of came in the same way, trying to replace a guy who had been traded. And as the 14th overall pick, he hasn't been that good this year. But he had his first career sack, ended up with 1.5 sacks in the loss to the Saints, but played his best game so far. And the 49ers now are hopeful that maybe he can catch fire in the second half of the season and become what they really thought Javon Kinley was going to be when they used that high pick on him. And he may get some help. Kyle Shanahan said today that they will put in a claim 
for pass rusher Tack McKinley, who failed his physical in Cincinnati. I don't know why they would telegraph that. Maybe they think there's no one else who claimed him before who would be ahead of them in the priority list, so they're safe in letting the world know they're going to put in that claim. One quick point on Jefferson. The Vikings did this before when they traded Randy Moss to the Raiders. They used the pick they got on Troy Williamson, if you guys remember him, and he was, all due respect, awful. And I think he had even more pressure on him because he's the guy replacing Randy Moss. Well, Jefferson, the guy replacing Stephon Diggs, and so far so good. He already has matched Moss with four 100-yard receiving performances in his rookie season. My rookie this week, Tuatonga Vailoa. Look, the numbers aren't spectacular, but they're winning, and he is quickly developing into the guy. He's playing well. He's playing within the confines of the offense. The Dolphins have won five in a row, and they are pushing toward the playoffs and maybe a division title. They benefited as much as the Cardinals from that Hale Murray throw because now the Dolphins right on the heels of the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East. And it could be that for the first time since 2008, if the Patriots don't win the division, it looks like they won't. It will be the Dolphins who won it in 2008 and may get it again if they keep doing what they've been doing in 2020. Coach of the Week time, MDS, who do you have? Well, I have a coach that we don't really talk about all that much in these awards, but he's a guy you may have heard of, Bill Belichick, who has had so much success that I I sometimes think we just kind of overlook him and and forget to talk about him when we're talking about a coach of the week or sometimes coach of the year. He probably should have won more coach of the year awards than he has. But I just thought he had a great game plan. His team was ready. They, They hit the Ravens right where they wanted to hit the Ravens. And I really thought that that it was just a a flawlessly constructed game plan to beat the Ravens in the best way the Patriots could. And, you know, the Patriots, they still have an uphill climb to the playoffs. I mean, if you look at the way the AFC shakes out, I couldn't say I think they're going to make it. It, it, It's still kind of a long shot. But if they find a way in, every team in the AFC is going to be saying, we don't want to play them. However the seeds play out, No one is going to want to have to play the Patriots and have a coach have to game plan against Bill Belichick in the playoffs. MDS, your guy has lifetime security. The guy I picked, Mike Zimmer, we were just talking a couple weeks ago, wondering if he was going to be fired. If not after this season, then he was under fire going into next season, even after signing that contract extension. And here we are. He's pulling it off again. He's got the Vikings play at a great level. And you start looking at their, their schedule, they've got a chance to go to the playoffs now. I don't know about that because they still have a lot of ground to make up, but they could go into the Tampa Bay game in three weeks at 7-5, and five, which would be incredible considering they started 1-5. and five. My coach of the week is Mike Tomlin, and, you know, we're kind of taking the Steelers for granted. They're just winning every week. I thought the Bengals would beat them. I've picked against them twice this year, and in both games, it was their most impressive performances of the season in blowing out the Browns and then blowing out the Bengals. They just win week in and week out. Tomlin has them in the right mindset. And I think that the seeds for this performance were planted in how Tomlin handled it last year when they lost Ben Roethlisberger. No excuses. Keep fighting. Keep scratching. Keep clawing. They almost made it to the playoffs. But I think that mindset from last year is still there in every game. And they have Roethlisberger. So they're just winning and winning and winning. And if it was the Patriots at 9-0 with these seven games remaining that the Steelers have, we'd be saying, hey, they got a chance to go 16-0. We need to be saying that about the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, thank you to MDS. We're going to be back after this to wrap up this Tuesday edition 
of PFTPM. All right, we're, we're holding MDS over for one very important reason, because somebody worked very hard in the control room to pay off on the thing that I just kind of pulled out of thin air, the three Rams as defensive players of the week. I mentioned there, and there we go. Well done, well done. I still don't know what you'll win. I don't want any Rams gear. I don't like the new helmet. I don't like the new uniform. I don't like it, and I'm not going to get worn down. Like, if you see it enough, you're like, oh, okay, I kind of like it. I refuse to give into that psychology, Nike. I hate that uniform, and that's that. All right, we're going to keep MDS around because we're going to continue to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Here's Mike Tomlin from earlier today when the issue of the next opponent, the woeful, hapless 1-8 Jaguars, came up. They've had games against teams like this. Here's the question and the answer that Tomlin addressed. What have you done better, if you think that you've done better in any way, with preparing for teams that at least record-wise present the opportunity for a trap game? You know, I'm not into the trap game discussion. I understand that that's things that you guys like to talk about. Um, but this is the NFL and more than anything, the guys know my attitude regarding that. We are not a Big Ten team playing a MAC opponent this week. Uh, every time we step into a stadium, we're playing professionals, players and coaches. And we got a ridiculous level of respect for that. And so, you know, write your story, man. Follow your storylines about trap games and things of that nature. We understand what we're going into in Jacksonville, that that's a group that's trying to kick our butt, a professional group, a capable group. And we're preparing with that understanding. That's the mindset the Pittsburgh Steelers have to have. If they're going to keep winning these games, they should. And here's the odds from points bet to go 16-0. and 0. Yes, plus 900, meaning you bet $100, you win 900. No, minus 2,000, meaning you got to bet 2,000 to win 100. MDS, which of those two props would you take right now? Yes or no to go 16-0? and 0? At those odds, I would bet on them to go 16 and 0 because I wouldn't want to risk 2,000 bucks just to win 100. Uh, but I don't think it will happen. But I wouldn't rule it out in part because, although Mike Tomlin doesn't want to hear it, I do think they have a fairly easy schedule. I don't look at their schedule and say, boy, there's so many tough games on there. They're going to get tripped up once. I think their schedule sure. is kind of easy. Shereen, real quickly as we go off air, which game is going to be tougher for the Steelers, Ravens or Bills? Buffalo on December 13th is the one they lose. All right, see you tomorrow. <laughs>